What's different about Christmas 2020? Well, we could make a long list of stuff, couldn't we? I mean, even if we went through some groups in our church, we could name lots of different things. Our Young at Heart group usually goes to Lincoln Christian University for Christmas in the Chapel. Their Christmas program, that's a big deal for them, couldn't go. Our Jingle Jam usually takes place sometime in the last couple of weeks for our kids' ministry and their families. Couldn't really do that. Uh, we've got uh, lots of different events that we would normally have that we just can't have because of the way the world is right now. And in fact, lots of families are struggling because people they love are just not with them anymore, or they can't gather for one reason or another. And so our, our list of priorities and our Christmas list in some ways have changed. And so this year in the series that I've called Making a List, we've been thinking about the things that have risen to the top of the list, things like love and joy and peace and hope. And so today we come to the third of those, peace, and we'll finish up Christmas Eve with hope. As we think about this last year, I don't think any of us would use the word peace to describe this year, right? For lots of different reasons, some of them across the nation, some of them more personal. I know this last couple of weeks we've seen this at work. Our daughter Lauren came home for Thanksgiving from college and they had already decided that the students would all go home, finish the last two weeks in December online, and then have finals online as well. And so that's what she's done. A couple weeks ago, she said, Dad, I, I thought about going to Branson with a couple of my friends for the weekend, and that turned out to be this weekend, so that's where she is. And I said, well, that's cool, but that sort of seems a little expensive right before Christmas. She said, well, it turns out it's no big deal because one of my friend's moms is paying for the hotel because she said, I got to get you out of the house, okay? <laughs> And so maybe you've got somebody after some remote learning or quarantining or lockdown and you're thinking, I just got to get the kids out of the house or I just got to get my husband out of the house. I got to get somebody out of the house and have a little quiet time to myself. This year has not been characterized by peace. Whether we've had different groups arguing back and forth over how you deal with a pandemic or how you deal with masks or an election or the results of an election or how different groups of people relate to one another in our culture, we've had all kind of contention, just people at one another all year long. And then we come to Christmas and say that it's a time of peace. And we might ask, How's Jesus' birth? We, we call him the Prince of Peace. How would we say that the birth of Jesus is somehow related to peace? I want us to think about that this morning. And to do that, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. Now, there's only two of the Gospels that talk about the birth of Jesus. Mark and John really don't tell that story at all. Of course, it plays into the rest of the story, but they don't describe the events leading up to or the birth of Jesus. Only Matthew and Luke do that. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 2, which records some of that. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 1. And what we find is in these two accounts, the stories are told from a little different angle. Luke tells the story in many ways from the perspective of Mary, the new mother, Matthew tells the story from Joseph's angle, from this earthly father of Jesus. And so it fills in some details that we wouldn't get if we just had one account. And it tells the story in a way that helps us understand those personalities a little bit better too. So we have Joseph. Now we're told at the beginning of the story that, well, Matthew goes through this long line of names that points to the fact that Jesus is in the royal line of Israel that he's a descendant of David, that he is one of the ones who could be the king. And Matthew is painting that picture for us of Jesus as king. And then we get to the story that begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. 
the story of Joseph. Verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah, the King, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, I think lots of us know that in the ancient world, in Jewish culture, an engagement, which is what this was, was as binding as a marriage relationship. It was as if you were married, but couldn't live together, couldn't sleep together, you were still separated, but if you wanted to part, man, it was like getting a divorce. Okay, so that's the situation they're in, and then Matthew drops this. But before they came together, she, Mary, was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a loaded sentence if there ever was one, right? Found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, found to be pregnant is pretty important because Mary and Joseph, engaged but not married, haven't come together physically yet. And so when Joseph finds out she's pregnant, he knows he's not the dad. So who is? Mary must have been unfaithful. They understood how it works back then, just like we do. She must have been with another man. Before they've even been married, she has chosen to be unfaithful to him. And so, what's he going to do about that? But Matthew says, she's found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What's going on there? How does that work? What does that even mean? Well, before we get to that, what we find is that Joseph's got a decision to make. Normally, if a woman is found to be unfaithful in ancient Jewish culture, what happens is she's brought before sort of a a group, a city judges or maybe one judge. Everybody's there, family, friends, everyone you've ever known, small town of Nazareth, everyone knew everyone else, and, and she would be shamed publicly, publicly accused, sort of convicted, and a divorce would be decreed. But Joseph is, Joseph is a good man, so he didn't want all that. He doesn't want her to be publicly shamed and humiliated. He wants to handle this sort of, if we would say, out of court, so it's quiet. He just wants to end the relationship in a quiet way so that they're not married. But that's not God's plan. Verse 20 says this, But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, descendant of the kings, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And we talked last week about how the word angel basically just means messenger. And here's one more angel in a dream with a message for Joseph. Take Mary to be your wife. What she's told you, and remember she's had a visit from an angel too. She knows this is from the Holy Spirit. What she's told you is true. Now my guess is, even if you're Joseph and you hear that from an angel, you're still scratching your head a little bit, right? You're still a little skeptical. You're not sure that this could be true. And yet, and yet facts are facts. And God only tells the truth. And that's what happened. She'll give birth to a son. And you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is told this is going to be a boy. He's going to be a king. 
And you're going to name him Jesus. And Jesus was an important word. Same name as the Old Testament word Joshua, the man who took over from Moses and led the people of Israel into the promised land. He was in some ways their Savior. And Jesus is going to be Savior in a very different way, but a Savior nonetheless. And so we're supposed to give him this name, Jesus, Joshua, Savior, because he will save his people from their sins, verse 21 tells us. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then Matthew fills in, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And over and over, Matthew points back to Old Testament prophecy. And this one says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew wants us to know that this this wasn't some lame brain idea that God just came up with one day, that God had a plan in motion all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way back to the very first sin of how he was going to deal with that sin problem. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And over and over we see that Jesus fulfilled what people had said hundreds of years before by the word of God. Jesus did it. But now Joseph has a decision to make, doesn't he? Okay, he's heard from an angel. Mary's heard from an angel. But nobody else has heard from an angel. Now, what are people going to say? Wouldn't it have been easier to just say, I don't know about this. It was a dream. Who knows whether this really happened. What do we do next? Because people are going to talk, aren't they? Oh, sure. Pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Like that happens, right? But we find out that Joseph is a man of faith. A man who understood when God speaks, you listen and you act. And so in verse 24, we read this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. That's the kind of person that he was. He obeyed. Okay, so there's a story. And maybe you're thinking, you know what, you you started all this, James, and you started and you said we were going to talk about peace today. You're going to talk about how the birth of Jesus somehow relates to a world that is so, so contentious right now. Somehow the birth of Jesus brings peace. And you read this story, you talked about it, and not once does Matthew use the word peace. So what does this story have to do with peace? And I think it has everything to do with peace. And it goes back to what we read in verse 21. Remember I said to remember this, because he will save his people from their sins. And when we hear that, what we think is personal salvation. What we think is I can be saved from my sins. And that's true and that's part of what is being said here. But when ancient Jews heard this phrase, he will save his people from their sins, that is not what would have come to their mind. Here's what would have come to their mind. God made us into a people. God brought us out of slavery in Egypt and made us a nation, a strong nation. He gave us a king and we were powerful. In fact, God had made an agreement with us, a covenant. We talked about that in the series on the Psalms, where where God says, you are my people and I will love you and protect you and give you a land and make you multiply. Great things are going to happen. 
But here's the agreement. You've got to do these things. You've got to worship in this way. You've got to follow me in this way. And, and what the people of Israel knew was that their ancestors had not kept the covenant. Instead of being a people who reflected the glory of God to everyone around them, instead of being a people who represented God to the world, they chose to worship the created rather than the Creator. And so they worshiped the gods of the sun and the moon and the stars. They worshiped the God of the harvest. They worshiped all kinds of things in the world rather than God Himself. It was called idolatry. They broke the covenant. And because they broke the covenant, well, that's why they lost the land. And that's why Rome was in charge. And so when the angel says He will save His people from their sins... What the people of Israel heard was, things are about to change. It's because of our sins that we don't have a land. It's because of our sins that we're, we're hardly a people at all anymore. And God is going to change things. And the truth is, God was about to change things. It wasn't going to be exactly like they expected. In fact, God was ushering in a new kingdom. God was on the move he was bringing something new, the reign of Jesus over not just Israel, not just the people of Israel, but over all of creation, over all of humanity. Looking forward to the time when Jesus will return and there'll be eternal reign of God over all things, a new heaven and a new earth. You see, he's proclaiming peace. Peace between humanity and God and peace between people and other people. The good news for us is that Jesus came to make peace when we couldn't. You see, we couldn't do that. We can't solve the problem between me and God. And we sometimes can't solve the problems between each other. But when Jesus proclaims peace... When there is real peace, when we recognize we are all part of what God is doing, when God has ushered in something new and I get to participate in it and you get to participate in it because we are followers of Jesus, that changes how we understand each other and there can be peace. Three truths, I think, that are at work in this that are just basic, basic to our understanding of Scripture. The first is our sin brings conflict. It does, doesn't it? My sin brings conflict with God because I've chosen a different path, because I too have worshipped the created rather than the Creator, because I've loved the stuff around me more than I've loved God, because I've loved giving myself pleasure more than I've loved giving God pleasure. We all do it. We are all idolaters. And so, there's conflict between me and God, but then sometimes I choose what is best for me over what's best for the people around me. Whether it's my family, my friends, my church, and it causes conflict. Sin causes conflict. But the second truth is, we can't solve the problem. I can't make it right between me and God. You know, there's not enough good that I can do that can cover the bad. I'm not good enough at staying away from the bad to make it right. And sometimes I can't solve the conflict between me and other people, and you can't solve it between you and other people. Try as we might, try as we might want to try to make peace, they're not ready. 
Maybe I'm not ready. I'm not ready to apologize. They're not ready to forgive. And so over and over, the conflict stays present. And we can't make peace. But the good news for us today is because God is on the move, Jesus brings real peace. Because the kingdom of God is being ushered in. Because the kingdom of God crosses all the political boundaries and the racial boundaries and the conflicts between individuals and the conflicts between groups. Because there is real forgiveness. Because we look forward to eternal life. Because we're all under the reign of Jesus Christ. There can be real peace. Now we have to choose it. It's up to us. But Jesus came to make peace when we couldn't. We can't do it. But Jesus can. And that's the good news of Christmas. That there is love and joy and there is peace. Even in a year like 2020, when it feels like there's been anything but peace, we can have peace in the name of Jesus. And we can look forward to the fact that in the end, There'll be peace that we can't even see at this point because it's greater than we can understand. He came to bring peace when we couldn't. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for the peace that comes only from Jesus, comes only from you breaking into this world and creating something new and showing us what a kingdom of peace looks like. God, help us to be the kind of people who follow in the path of peace that you've set for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.